This is the Feminine Podcast, the official podcast of Feminine, discussing all things femme, a little bit of EM, and everything in between. I'm Jenny Beck Esme, Editor-in-Chief of Feminine, and I am excited to be joined today by Dr. Jamie Hope. Jamie is a crucial member of the Feminine team, and she has been the mastermind behind bringing virtual fix to reality, making sure all these workshops and panels are happening, coaching some of the workshop and panel leaders through their preparation. She's making it all happen and she's here with me today to meet some of these workshop leaders so that you guys know a little bit about what's coming, to hear a little bit about them. Jamie, tell me why you're excited for fix. Oh my gosh, Jenny, I'm so excited. You know that I have, I started out as a fix fangirl. And it was my, you started out as a fixed faculty member slash fangirl. I did. What was my, it was my first big speaking gig and I got to do imposter syndrome, which is still a topic near and dear to my heart. And at that event, I found such connection, such education. It was mind blowing. And I immediately, I was like, I want to do more. How can I help? How can I contribute? And so I was helping set up the workshops when this was going to be a live event. And then a little thing happened along the way. Funny thing, global pandemic, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I knew that the content that these workshop leaders and the panelists were creating was something so important that it couldn't be ignored. We didn't want to wait. We didn't want to push it off. And And we felt like we needed to bring the community together, right? We want to get this content and this education out, but we also felt this need to bring the feminine family together so we could all see each other and meet and chat a little bit. Oh, yeah. So when we started doing, um, I started the Fix It Fridays, the virtual happy hour. Right, right. We were all essentially sitting at home alone with whatever kids or pets or people happen to live in your house. And the first time, and every time we got on and it was like, oh, hey, it's so good to see you again. Let's chat. Let's connect. Because we are a community. So now we get to come together and continue to do these awesome things. And what I love about Feminem Live, you know, some conferences are extremely boring. I won't name names, but you really only <laughs> <go to> network. <laughs> uh, fix, you come for the content and the people. Yeah. And so I know that some places are ruining Zoom and making it so boring, death by Zoom. That is not what we do at Feminine. <laughs> we were, we're doing the content, the engagement, the awesomeness, and I am just so excited to be a part of this. I am too. So let's meet some of our workshop leaders. Excellent. Let's get started. We are here now with Trisha Swan, who is going to be presenting how to improve your PEM academic career, the nuts and bolts of building and climbing the ladder. Trisha, tell us what kind of things that the participants are going to be learning in your workshop. Well, so I'm super excited to be talking about this, having recently gone through an academic promotion process myself. But I thought what we would cover is things that are really important for women building their careers, especially early on. Um, We're going to talk about effective cover letter writing and also how to, to apply for those jobs that you're interested in doing that's going to advance your career along the way and how you can write a cover letter that makes you interested in people wanting to look at your CV. And then we're also gonna look at actually the CV 
writing process itself, how to organize it, how to write it, how to format it, and then things you can do to improve it to make you a more attractive job candidate for the different things that people are interested in pursuing throughout their, their career. And then at the very end, I think we'll go through some of the things about academic promotion processes, demystifying some of the things that we are taught and not taught and the myths and the actual process and make that easier and more transparent for people to see because I think it is not an easy thing to do and no one warns us about it. So having recently been through it, I can definitely look back and say, I wish I would have dot, dot, dot. And then we can share all of those learning uh, points with everybody else. So it should be really fun. That sounds Great. Everything that you just listed is stuff that is so important, but really is never taught very well. Cover letters, CVs, how to navigate the academic ladder, what the academic ladder even means. I remember early on, I didn't even understand what the different titles meant. Which one came first, assistant, associate? I don't know. This also right. sounds fantastic. Now, I'm not a PEM person. In fact, uh, febrile infants give me palpitations, you know. So if you're not a PEM person, is this workshop not for you? No, I think this is going to be great for all women that are climbing the ladder. Sounds this like it. is generalizable and nothing specific for pediatric emergency medicine physicians. And it's going to be for everybody. Like, how do you get to where you want to go? And how are you effective in doing that? So lots of tips and tricks. And you can just learn from all my mistakes. <laughs> That's what I love so about helpful. our supportive community. You're like, hey, here's all the ways I screwed this up. So you don't have to. <laughs> I love it. Okay. We're asking everybody some kind of random question, just so we have a chance to get to know our workshop leaders better. So my question for you is coffee, tea, neither, both, and how do you take it? Coffee, black, never tea. I've never been a tea drinker, even though I was raised in the Midwest, which is crazy. And I live in Florida. So everybody here drinks tea. And I'm like, no, that's not for me. Black coffee. And Black coffee, and I just started drinking it like a year and a half ago after I went to Italy. So I never was, oh, a, I was really? actually a neither drinker for a long did time. Did you drink coffee in medical school? Is that even a no. Med I, I didn't drink coffee until the first week of medical school. I had never had coffee in my life. Medical school <laughs> happened. For the first few months of medical school, we had anatomy lab that started at like seven o'clock in the morning or something. Uh. And so it took about a, two weeks of medical school for me to be a not coffee <laughs> drinker to a coffee drinker with a lot of cream and milk to a black coffee, just put it in an IV person. <laughs> well, I, I made it through medical school, uh, residency, fellowship, and two children and did not drink coffee until about a year and a half ago. Well, you now, are a true feminine superhero. <laughs> feminine yes. superhero right there. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. I'm so excited to have you teach the feminine community all about academic ladder success. This is great. Yes, I'm excited too. It's going to be really fun. Thank you. Next, we have Dr. Emily Wagner, and her workshop is Preventing Imposters Club. Emily, tell us what people are going to learn in this workshop. Okay. I'm super excited to share a model that is ongoing from Indiana University. We started this club about two years ago, uh, and it meets once a month, and essentially, we teach residents and women faculty members how to combat imposter phenomenon. So when we start with the new residents, we usually introduce the idea. A lot of residents haven't even heard of imposter phenomenon or syndrome when they start residency. 
And then we have built this amazing network of support throughout the EM faculty and the residents uh, at IU. And every month we tackle a new topic related to imposter phenomenon. And essentially, I'm gonna teach you how to do that at your own institution. And we've gotten rave reviews. Uh, people have soared in their academic accomplishments, actually. There's, they've gotten a lot of publications and mentorship, and we have felt that it's been a really rewarding model for us. So I'm excited to share it with the world. I love this. Imposter syndrome, imposter phenomenon is huge. Dr. Jamie Hope introduced this concept to the FIX audience at the very first FIX, FIX 2017. And I use her talk with my resident women's group and faculty women's group every year too. And we, we watch Jamie's talk. We use it as a jumping off point to talk about this concept. So to build a bigger network and kind of a, a more robust way to deal with this is so cool. I love I the idea of ongoing support because this is so real. Ironically, when I gave that talk, giving the talk, I felt like, wow, I feel like maybe this will only apply to a few people. <laughs> Imposter syndrome. <laughs> right? Really, this should be core content. And so you are going to be teaching us how to do that at all of our institutions on an ongoing basis. Yeah. And it initially, it was started for residents um, who were dealing with it as interns coming in. And then it was so surprising how prevalent, like you said it was, even in our very, very, very long-term faculty and how much both faculty and residents have gotten out of it in the end. So exciting. Love so it. Emily, I'm going to hit you with a question. Okay. If you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? Hmm. Oh, well... You know, when people used to ask me this question when I was a fourth grader, I used to say that I wanted to be a duck because they could walk and fly and swim. That is you a know. really well thought out answer. That is so wise. I probably would uh, teach my three-year-old that answer because <laughs> it's kind of a lot of superpowers, even though it's a boring little animal. Uh, love that. That is so great. <laughs> I love it. That is awesome. I, I want to do all those things. Yeah, I think you do. And ducks are like kind of lovable. It's fine. They're pretty cute. They're pretty cute. <laughs> they are. All right. Great. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. And we are looking forward to this awesome workshop. Thank you. We are here now with Jennifer Mitzman, and she will also be joined by workshop expert Alicia Polarski. And they are doing an amazing workshop, Healing Your Healers. Jennifer, tell us about what you're going to be offering in this workshop. So our plan is to help people to bring peer support to their institution or department or take it to the next level. So, you know, we'll be starting with everyone together um, and an opportunity to be interactive and kind of share where each individual participant's coming from in terms of peer support um, at their place of work. And then we plan to do two breakout sessions. So if you're a beginner and all you have is a lot of enthusiasm and absolutely nothing else, that's okay. You are welcome in our workshop um, to sort of learn uh, and work through how to get something 
small or medium size um, off the ground. And similarly, if you've already taken those steps and you have something either in your department or in your institution and you want to push it to the next level, um, my partner Alicia Polarski will be leading the breakout session on that and helping people who have already accomplished something in the way of peer support really um, bump up their game to the next level. So um, we hope all comers um, will find something to help them help their, um, their partners and their um, institution with peer support. That is so great. A little something for the learner of every level, entry level or advanced is still gonna get something out of this session to bring better peer support to their peers. I love it. Jennifer, we've been asking everybody a silly or fun question so we can get to know our workshop leaders better. Are you ready for yours? Yeah, now I'm really, really wishing that Alicia was here with me to be on the hot seat, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think, it, I think it's a fun one. Thinking back to your childhood, sixth grade or younger, what was your favorite toy and or activity and why? So um, I lived on the top of a hill. Our driveway was this crazy hill and it went across the street and down into the across the street neighbors driveway was like the continuation of the hill. So one of my favorite early childhood memories, which now as not only an EM doctor, but a pediatric EM doctor makes me cringe that my parents allowed this. <laughs> my goal in the winter was to get enough speed up going down our driveway to make it across the street and down the neighbor's driveway in like one shot. And we of course posted a very safe lookout kid at the bottom of the driveway. <laughs> yeah. Special some hey, that, was, that was thinking. So are we talking on a sled or on a, on a sled or okay. like a tray stolen from the elementary school cafeteria? We were oh, not no. Anyhow. Yeah, looking back at some childhood childhood activities as an adult and as an EM doctor is like, ooh, that oh, was it's yeah, it's horrifying. Like, what were my parents thinking? <laughs> <laughs> it was a different era. It's a different yeah. era. <laughs> this will keep them entertained for a few minutes. Yeah, so. that was a pretty fun one. Nice. Well, thank you. <laughs> We are so excited for you to be joining the faculty for the virtual fix. Thank you, thank you. And people are gonna learn a lot from you. We are here now with Dr. Chrissy Zaretsky, who is going to be hosting the workshop on human trafficking, recognition and treatment. And that's such an important topic because the signs aren't always what people expect. So can you tell us what type of things the participants are gonna be learning in your workshop? Yes. So. Um, I am really hoping to help uh, us busy kind of EM providers recognize some of the red flags, some of the key issues, because we know that the, you know, the population of, you know, victims who are actually human trafficked or even survivors are coming through like our EM doors. And um, I actually am a pediatric emergency medicine provider and am very involved with um, child abuse and a lot of advocacy. And that's really how I kind of carved my way into the um, human trafficking network as because I started to identify some of these patients. And probably if I wasn't doing the advocacy work with child abuse prevention um, and treatment, I probably would not have you know, recognized it. And I got um, involved when it wasn't really popular. I'm really happy to see now it's on the cover of like a lot of our EM journals. It's coming up at conferences now. That makes me feel, you know, very good. Um, and one of the things I think that I was really, where I practiced prior, 
I did not realize how many, you know, victims we actually had. And when I started working, um, actually was working as a deputy coroner, helping with some of the cases, I realized then that there was an entire department that was dedicated to this. And I thought, well, if the police force has an entire task force and they're, you know, spending our government dollars to look at this and track this, this is a big deal. This is definitely happening in my backyard. Um, and I think that was one of the biggest things I had to break through is to kind of, you know, recognize that A, this is not like a problem that's only happening in like South Florida or, you know, wherever else you know, may be living, that this is happening likely in your own backyard and through our ED doors. And I uh, became really involved with um, our coalition. Um, I live in Gainesville, Florida, but we have an Alachua County Human Trafficking Coalition. And now we've really we've set up a human trafficking protocol. We have a phone number that we can call that we work very well with our advocates in the community and the area when we have a victim. So one of the things I'd really like to empower other providers is how to help to start that network, to reach out to your community, because I know we don't have an hour to be in the room figuring all this out and exploring this. And the other caveat that I really hope um, that our uh, participants take away is that a lot of people that come through that are trafficked are not nice patients. They're not patients you wanna spend an hour in the room talking to. They're gonna be difficult. A lot are drug abused. Um, they're not very forthcoming with information. So a couple of the takeaways that I'd like you know people to um, learn is some of the red flags on how we can identify and, you know, we're not the police and we're not um, the social workers and we're not, although it feels like that sometimes right in the unit, yeah. um, but how to kind of employ other people to assist us. So I'm just trying to help people recognize and empower them with resources that are already available, systems that are already in place, and how maybe in your own institution, you can help navigate some of these pathways um, with those resources. So I'm also hoping to play a little game um, regarding human trafficking. So we'll do a little trivia on some of the fun facts and some of the latest kind of updates and um, look at some of the, you know, the national statistics on that as well, because it is an interesting um, definition and what people really, uh, how people define it. So I would like to kind of break down some of those barriers as well. And again, um, I'm really, I'm very hopeful to also look at um, talking about uh, some of those resources for our busy, you know, emergency medicine providers who may be dealing with a track, you know, traffic victim while we're also trying to perform CPR and intubate a patient and right, put on full right, PPE right. in COVID times. Yeah. So um, I think we have to keep it very real for us because we're busy and we always have 20, you know, pots, you know, going on the, on the stove. So uh, it's, it's easy when you go to some of these networking um, are some of the workshops that I attend that are not made primarily for the EM provider. And I can already detect that they have so much more time, so much yeah. more. Resources. I think and, that's so yeah. helpful. Yeah. It's so helpful to put it into the specifically the emergency medicine context, because this kind of in my brain falls into the same realm as many of the other social determinants of health, food scarcity, you know, inability to have safe places to exercise, all these things that are influencing our patient's health, but we don't have the time to spend counseling a lot or getting to some of the, the, the real root cause of our patient's problems, but they're coming to us with kind of some of the sequelae of these problems. So the faster we can recognize these, the faster we can identify resources uh, to help our patients with any of those social determinants of health, the better our patients are going to do and the better we're going to do as physicians. So this is going to be a really great workshop. Yeah, well, so a lot of 
it's intimidating. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jamie. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's, it's empowering because it, the, now first people recognize the scope of the problem, which is so much bigger than we thought. And then, okay, you find somebody because you're going to learn how to identify them. Then that, what do I do? And so they're going to leave this workshop empowered with knowing those key important steps in the context of being a busy emergency medicine provider. That's so amazing. Yes. And I, I would also say like from attending the last fix, I'm always, you know, I kind of take away that whole, like, be the change. How are we going to go back to our units and be the change? And mm -hmm. I really want to empower providers because a lot of our institutions, whether you work academically or if you're in a small community or you're in a big, um, you know, kind of, you know, you know, move the meat, move the meat kind of place where you can go back to these institutions and challenge them on the fact that we do have to have a way to take care of, you know, all of these things that come through our unit and our victims. And this is really important with our collegial efforts from law enforcement, from Homeland Security, from, you know, uh, it, there's so many avenues that this crosses. And I do think this is so important on a community level to, to get other people involved as well. Yeah. So we have been asking all of our workshop leaders a fun fact question, just so we can get to know people a little bit better. So mine for you, putting it in context, is in the realm of COVID, I think a lot of us have been turning back to comfort things, comfort television shows, re-watching things like Seinfeld or Golden Girls, returning to foods from our childhood. So what is your go-to comfort food? And does it have a specific reason for it? <laughs> like, you know, it's what my mom made me when I was sick, or I just really like pepperoni pizza. Or I like comfort your food. comfort food. This is going to probably <laughs> um, be a little silly, but chili cheese Fritos. And chili cheese Fritos. <laughs> which is the funniest thing. And they're, they're often hard to find. And you really have to have a taste for them because they're kind of different. And uh, they're often hard to find. And I think probably because I was not allowed to have them in childhood. Mm -hmm. And it was um, sort of a, you may have a couple, you know, in your chili. Then that is like, if I am really having a rougher day, I might buy chili cheese Fritos. And I, I've learned now to just buy a very small bag. I love that. <laughs> I may or may not have ordered online barbecue corn nuts recently for a very similar reason. I think my dad used to purchase them at the gas station or something. I don't really like barbecue flavored snacks in general, but for some reason, barbecue corn nuts bring me back to like riding in the car with my dad. And I really wanted someone ordered them online and they were delightful. Oh, awesome. <laughs> and the other fun fact is my three-year-old son loves them just as much. Oh, it's genetic. It's well, gotta I mean, be genetic. Yeah. And they're delicious. Okay. That's the best. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This workshop is going to be so impactful. I'm really grateful that you're going to be teaching us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Next, we have Danya Koja, who is partnered with Diane Bierenbaumer, and their workshop is called Rock the Mic, Improving Your Speaking Skills from Some of the Top Speaking Experts. Oh. This, this is, is so good. This is going to be so good. So tell us about the kind of things that people are going to learn in your workshop. So we are super excited about this workshop. What we're going to be talking about is speaking and presenting skills, which are incredible assets to anyone's career. Whether you want to talk about academic things or non-academic things, hopefully you will find what you need in this workshop. We're going to be talking about things like knowing your audience, um, honing your topic, displaying 
what you want to talk about and figure out what's the best way to deliver that content and how to physically deliver the, your presentation, whether we're talking about electronic or virtual platforms, the way we're doing things now, or when we're post all of this COVID craziness and we're back to in-person life. So we're super excited about the fact that hopefully you can use these skills in every single venue, whether again, it's medical stuff or non-medical stuff, and whether you can see the humans or just do it virtually. Oh my God, this is gonna be so great. Danya, hot seat question. Yes, what, Jenny. What is the movie from your childhood that you remember most vividly because it was either impactful and or terrified you? Oh, Home Alone, definitely Home Alone. Home alone. It's, it's very impactful because um, it shows you how you can figure it out on your own when you are alone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on Christmas at did, home. Did you have a bit of a moment the other day when Macaulay Culkin tweeted that he was 40? Um, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah. think someone, I mean, who asked you, Jenny? You shush. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um, had a bit of a moment. <laughs> I am choosing to believe that someone hacked his account and he's not really 40 and this is the end of yeah. it. And thank you very much. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. That's about your opinion, but about telling us he's 40 without a warning. No, we needed a trigger warning first before that. <laughs> he's yeah, like, like, just hey, guys, 2020 yes, worse. Hey, guys. <laughs> Yeah, Home Alone's a good one. I remember vividly being terrified by the opening of Labyrinth for some reason. The owl and the opening of Labyrinth just scared the heck out of me. And um, Little Shop of Horrors. The dentist scene in Little Shop of Horrors really got me scared when I was a kid. So those movies have these like searing imprints. They then went on to become favorite (laughs) movies once I watched them in the daytime and not at nighttime. But yeah. And you watch them years later and you're like, wow, those graphics are horrible. Yeah, what got me so scared? Yeah. Well, thank you, Danya, for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing you guys pretty soon. I know. I'm excited. It's going to be awesome. I cannot tell you how much fun it was for me to spend an afternoon chatting with Jamie and these exceptional workshop leaders who are hard at work creating excellent education for you, our feminine audience. Tune in again next week as we chat with a few more of our workshop leaders to give you a flavor of a few other workshops you can choose from when you register. And don't forget, head over to the Feminine website to register now. Our tickets are going fast. See you soon.